You're listening to Family Feud, part of the Paris Style Podcast family. They might not be brother and sister, but they sure do fight like they are. Here's your hosts, Keely Yor and Shotgun Spratling. Welcome to another episode of the Family Feud Podcast. I'm your host, Keely Yor, joined alongside, not technically alongside because we're Skyping, Shotgun Spratling. Uh, we're back. It's been a, a, a long break for us, but I don't think any news broke in between that time, Shotgun, did it? I mean, I don't think anything's happened in the last two and a half weeks or so, right? No, not at all. Not early signing day. Not you for know? USC. Not no, for USC. I, I mean, mean a- USC is just calm, cool, and collected. Nothing really happens. <laughs> As ever. always. As the always. Reason, the reason why we're Skyping is actually because we normally would have done this before our tunnel vision on Thursday, but we didn't want on Tuesday because we had to do an emergency one because, you know, they had an offense coordinator at one point, and then now they no longer do. <sighs> It's true. It's it's a depressing thing if you're a USC fan. But so today, in today's episode, we're going to talk about the Cliff Kingsbury drama. But we're also going to look ahead and explore what USC can do next. We don't want to beat a dead horse in that sense. We'll also discuss some five-star commits that the Trojans picked up over the past weekend. But before we get into that, as a reminder, you guys can subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, and Audio Boom. You can also email us questions and submissions to our podcast at FamilyFeudPod at gmail.com. So we kind of already got into a shotgun, but Cliff Kingsbury, he was USC's offensive coordinator for 34, 35 days. It was a short-lived tenure for Cliff. Basically the worst possible case for USC of what could have happened with Cliff. I mean, what was your initial reaction and what's your reaction now that there's been some space on it? I mean, it was an eventful 34 days for sure, because even once he was, you know, when we heard there was an agreement in place, there was still another week of kind of negotiations and stuff for three or four or five days uh, from one week to the next. And then it seemed like every couple of days there was a new rumor coming out. Well, Cliff Kingsbury, you know, Houston wanted him as their head coach and, you know, they were going to hire him and pay him a bunch of money. He turned that down. Well, the NFL wants him for this and they want him for that. So it just seemed like he was in the news cycle like every three or four days, basically. Uh, and, you know, for whatever reason that is, I mean, he was the hottest commodity in college football uh, this offseason, which made sense. Didn't really understand, you know, the Cardinals' desire to make him a head coach because he struggled as a head coach the last six years. You know, his best season at Texas Tech came in his first year, I believe, first or second year. So they, they've struggled since then. You know, their offense has always been really good. So, Maybe it'll work in the NFL for him because if you get the right defense coordinator in there, he takes over the offense. I, I think it can work there. But, yeah, I just don't know that if I was an NFL team, I don't know that I would trust him as the head coach to turn around a program because the only reason you're hiring a new coach is because you've been terrible. So you're going to get, you know, you're going to take over a, a team that's, you know, has struggled this past season, 3-13, and 13, I believe the Cardinals are. They got the number one pick. So you'll get, you'll get some talent out of the draft and stuff, but there's just – I don't know that it's going to work necessarily. We'll see. It could work out, but I don't know what the desire was there from the NFL teams. I could understand wanting him as an offense coordinator, but as a head coach, there's just not the track record. And it goes to show you how much is a copycat league yep. where, where whatever, whatever is hot at the time, teams will follow. You know, So right now it's the young – you know, offensive-minded head coaches is what is driving, especially in the NFC West. I mean, you look now with the addition of Cliff Kingsbury, he's 39 years old. 
Kyle Shanahan with the 49ers is 39 years old. They've been, you know, kind of building the last couple of seasons with him. They think they can be really good next year with Jimmy Garoppolo. Obviously, the Rams are on fire. You know, they've been great this season with 32-year-old Sean McVay. And then the outlier is none other than former USC coach Pete Carroll, who I believe is 67 or, or so. Uh, so he's, you know, old enough to be all of their fathers. Uh, so it, different dynamic there, but that's kind of the trend right now with Matt Nagy and, and you know, the offenses of the, the Kansas City Chiefs doing well is to go after a, a younger head coach uh, that uh, a younger offensive mind head coach and bring him in. That's how Nagy got his job from the Chiefs and, you know, some of these other things. That's how he got the job. Does he deserve it? I don't know that he deserves it, but it, it still could work for USC. It, it hurts for the fans. Uh, it probably hurts for Clay Helton as well because the offense was going to be really good in his offense. It was going to be take a definite uptick, in my opinion. It was going to be, you know, ready to go. Uh, you know, I thought the offense would score 35 to 40 points next year pretty regularly. Instead, we'll see what happens with the offense coordinator position. Uh, we'll talk about that in a second. But you know, are you going to go with the same air raid, raid techniques? Are you going to go with something else? That it becomes the question. The, the offense at USC still has plenty of pieces to work around, but you got to get somebody in. It's going to be a smart mind that can make some adjustments in games. Yeah, I mean, if you're USC, Clay Helton, Lynn Swan, you're kind of scratching your head at this point because you made that big hire. But we're going to get into the offensive coordinator position and what USC should go do next. But I, I just want to go into, do you blame Cliff? Because... Our mention shotgun were all over the place while this news was breaking, and I feel like some USC fans are really mad and they're like, honor and commitment. Where do you lie on this blaming Cliff uh, saga? You know, I don't think you can blame someone for taking a posi- the highest position in a profession. You know that that's basically what happened. You know, it's thirty-two head coaching positions. He decided in, in the NFL. He took one of those. You know, as a coach, when you decide coming out of college when he goes in the NFL and you know he I think he went uh to somewhere as a graduate assistant when you make that decision to go back to school I'm going to learn of these other coaches I want to be a coach if you start in high school you start in middle school the highest level of the football coaching pyramid is well it's it's Bill Belichick to be honest but <laughs> beneath that is the the other 31 head coaching positions in the NFL and he decided to take one of those. So I don't think you can fault someone for taking what is what equals the highest uh, spot in your profession. I mean, you you look at it. If a politician starts, and you know, it's a completely different thing as an elected official. But if it was, you know, similar to the NFL college, and if you're a a congressman or a senator, and someone says, "Hey, we're going to tab you to be the president instead," you're going to be like. Even if you're not ready, you're like, I'm going to jump at that opportunity because that's the highest of the profession. Uh, so I, I think that you can't blame him for that. It sucks the way it played out. It sucks for, for Cliff because, you know, he looks bad in this situation for not having any loyalty. Uh, it, it sucks for USC because they lost the person and they didn't get, a, you know, there wasn't a big buyout or anything there. So they don't get any, you know, big boon out of this. There's no big... Uh, you know, payback for them. At, you know, for Temple, when Manny Diaz decided to go to Miami, there was a four million dollar pay payout. So, you know, you can lick your wounds while you're laying in a in a pool of money a lot easier uh, than you can when you're when you're sitting on top of a little tiny, you know, a couple of coins. So, I think that, you know, 
there's you can put blame on pretty much anyone if you really want to, but there also is a, a scenario where you don't really blame anyone because this is someone going out and getting a better job than the one he had. You can't really fault people for that. It, it just sucks the way the timing worked out. You know, if he stayed here for a year and then he got this opportunity, was anybody going to be like, I can't believe you would do that. I can't believe it. No, because that's, you know, that's the highest of the profession. So I don't think you can blame him, but it just kind of sucks the way it played out for everyone. Yeah, I mean, what do you think of Lynn Swan and that? You mentioned the buyout, but also USC silence and all this. There's been a lot of like he said, she said, or I guess just he said, he said uh, versus the NFL and college about did Cliff have to resign? Did he not? Do you think that USC should have, whether they said it indirectly or off the record, cleared the record a little bit so that no one really looks like the bad guy here? Yeah, I, I think it would have helped them, you know, if they're not at fault. Uh, you know, blocking him, if it happened, it was, you know, I don't know why you would do that because if you do that, you're just pushing someone towards the edge and making them want to leave a little bit more. Now, if you realize that, okay, now the, the thing with the buyout is there was reported there was a $150,000 buyout that USC will receive from Arizona. I'm guessing it was a tiered buyout where, you know, the, the buyout for him to become an NFL offensive coordinator would have been much different than it was as a head coach because I don't think anyone expected him when they hired him for him to be a head coaching candidate. Yeah. There was no talk of that when he when he was fired at Texas Tech. No one was like, oh, immediately I think, well, if, if – if there's openings in the NFL, that'll be a guy they go after. No. People talked about, hey, maybe he can go and be an NFL offense coordinator. I think this situation just moved really quickly. Uh, and you know, I, that's why I don't think there's much fault because I think it moved really quickly. I don't think anyone expected it initially. You know, If Cliff Kingsbury expected it initially, he might have taken a little bit more time. Because you've seen guys like Jim Chaney just got hired by Tennessee yesterday as an offense coordinator. There's been some other hirings that have just happened you know, in, the in this week during this week. And, and so I think that, you know, if he realized that, that this opportunity was a potential, then I think he would have waited. I saw a tweet earlier today that his, his agent, now I don't, I don't know how much you can trust his agent because he's put out a lot of stuff out there to keep his name out there in different positions, but said he turned down seven different offensive coordinator positions to stay at USC. But when the NFL head coaching job came, that was one he couldn't pass up. So you know, it, it's tough to put any blame on anyone. Could USC get on front of it? If they're not to blame, then yes. I think they should have, you know, made a statement, you know, a little bit more than what Clay Helton said. Then, you know, and Clay Helton handled it classily yeah. uh, to say, hey, we wish him the best. We know this is a great opportunity for him, that type of thing, which is basically the exact same phrasing when Clay, Clay Helton left Arkansas State to come to USC, you know, without ever coaching it down there either, you know, after he was fired from – or after he left Memphis, I don't remember if he was fired, if he just left, but went to Arkansas state as the offense coordinator was there for, I think two months and then hopped over to USC when Lane Kiffin came called. Yeah. And the funny thing about people saying the honoring the contract and everything like that, uh, Alicia did day or Tola. I always watch her name. Uh, she mentioned on the Raina Troy podcast. She's like, for all the people who are saying honoring the contract, are you going to tell Lynn Swan to honor Clay Helton's contract for a couple more years? You know, it's just the coaching profession is so different in that way. And in the sense of like honoring a contract. Yeah. I mean, contracts, they're just there to make sure that there is something in place. Um, because there's so many jobs out there where if you have an opportunity to, to go to another position, now there might be something like a buyout involved, but 
there's no contract that you can't get out of. There's no indentured slavitude, uh, indentured servitude here. And there's no slavery in it. You know, once you sign the contract, it's not like you're okay. Well, I'm signed away to this team for the rest of my life. That that's not how contracts work. You can always get out of them if need be. Now there may be some language in there that that forces something of a buyout or some other you know stipulations when someone leaves. Uh, but you know, there, if an opportunity comes up, you've got to take it when it's when it's an opportunity at the highest of your profession like this. Mm-hmm. So going forward, USC. Um, they lose their marquee guy, the offensive coordinator that was supposed to save the day. What do you do next? What can you do? I mean, does USC, I think the biggest question is, does USC coming to the table with big boy moves or can they even, is there anyone available that they can? Or do they go and then do they turtle up and do a, a classic USC hire? What do you think? How can you salvage this going forward? You know, I don't think they have to make a splashy hire necessarily because offense coordinators, you know, you sound like you, you hire someone like, oh, it sounds like a good thing, but I don't I still don't think there's no real splashy offense coordinators out there, but there are some quality guys, I still think. I don't know that there is a head coach that you're gonna that was just fired that you bring in and everybody's like, Wow, that's a great move. Uh, but I think there's some offense coordinators out there that are very very smart guys. I think the biggest thing is in game adjustments. USC's offense last year was perfectly fine. You know, they had great game plans and stuff, but once the in-game adjustments were made by the opponent, that's when you saw that USC struggled. I, so I think you got to go out and find an offensive coordinator, an offensive, a smart offensive mind. Then the question becomes, do you want to go air rate? Do you want to go back to gumbo? Do you want to go to power eye? It doesn't matter. I think you just need to find someone that is, you know, this a, a smart offensive mind, figure out what, what fits best for your, pers- your personnel, put them in the right positions, and then be able to make those adjustments in game because that's something that you really struggled with last year. You've got so many weapons. You just got to put them in the right places and, and let them go to work. Uh, so there's guys out there like Graham Harrell, you know, the offense coordinator at, at North Texas is another spread guy, former Texas tech quarterback. He's a guy that we've heard his name thrown around a lot. You know, jet fish at, with the, with the Rams was with UCLA with Jaron got when, uh, excuse me, when Josh Rosen was there, you know, the UCLA offense was really good that year. The offensive line was terrible. You know, their uh, their defense was okay, but, you know, they, they weren't very good as a team. But the offense still put up a, a good number of yards and points and stuff. So that's a possibility. You know, I would look also on that Rams staff at, at some of the other guys that are on the staff as well, like Zach Taylor, the Rams quarterback coach, or maybe Shane Waldron, their pass game coordinator. Those are guys I would look at as well because that offense has been ridiculously good. Jared Goff has made such improvements from when he first got to the NFL uh, under Jeff Fisher. And a lot of that is Sean McVay. However, I would still look at those other guys. I would bring them in, pick their brains, see how much they know, and and see if they are a fit as well. Those are some guys. You know, We've heard some other names thrown out there, but I think the first thing you have to figure out is do we want to go spread principles or do we want to go to something else? And, you know, how do you kind of figure out, you know, who is the best fit after you determine making that determination of what you want your offense to be next year? It sounds like from USC, there's some interest, legit interest in Graham Harrell. Um, he seems kind of like a, a Kingsbury light, if you will. Um, as you mentioned, he was an offensive analyst and an outside receivers coach at Wazoo. Um, if you get someone that's, I guess, a lower profile but still has the same uh, type of concepts as Kingsbury, do you think that, that USC can still go that route? 
Yeah, I mean, Nor- uh, Graham Harrell just came after Cliff Kingsbury. Who's to say he, he doesn't have just as good of a mind as Cliff Kingsbury or, or whatever it may be? You know, he's got a similar path. Uh, he was six. He's 33 years old, I believe, and, and Kingsbury was 39. So who's to say, you know, he's not capable of taking over and taking that next leap like Kingsbury did earlier in his a little bit earlier in his career, taking over as a head coach at Texas Tech. You know, who's to say that Graham Harrell's not ready to to jump up and take over an offense coordinator position at a bigger school and, and have success? I think he's a guy from what I've heard about him that he could could do that as well. You know, former NFL quarterbacks are always guys that are that usually are a legit offensive minds because especially backup quarterbacks like Graham Harrell or Cliff Kingsbury, because those guys have to study the most. I think, you know, they have to be ready to, to jump in at any point in time. So uh, I think that those, those offensive minds are, are hard to come by, but a good place to look is former NFL quarterbacks like Graham Harrell, like Cliff Kingsbury. I think that so far we've seen that, that, uh, Graham Harrell has done some good things at North Texas and stuff. So I would be curious to see what he would do as an office coordinator role in a bigger role. Now, I don't, you know, it comes down to the interview there, though. I, I would have to put him on the board. You know, I would go through all that stuff and see how he compares, you know, to the, the interview you just did with Cliff Kingsbury not too long ago. I think that would be part of it, you know, seeing how he compares and contrasts there. And you determine, well, is it Kingsbury light or is it Kingsbury a little bit different or is it a lesser version? You know, you have to figure out how it, how it fits in there exactly with Graham Harrell. Yeah, I would agree. So kind of in the same line, if you get someone like Graham Harrell, who's coming from North Texas, USC is considered a jump up. And I feel like that someone like him would be more encouraged to come to USC. But does this drama with Cliff scare away any potential offensive coordinators that could come knowing that Helton might be a lame duck and, and the drama that just preceded the last offensive coordinator. You know, I think you look at it and you say, Hey, there are weapons there. Even if, you know, even if the, the coach is a lame duck coach, the defense played pretty well. I'm looking at it and saying, you know, if I fix that offense, I think this team really improves, you know, especially if you go and look at some of the tape and stuff, if, if you're a coach and say, I think I can do pretty good there. I think that the offense will be better. I think we'll win games even if they lose. Even then I might be a candidate for, you know, if if it go 8 and 4, 9 and 3 and Helton gets fired, if if he gets fired with that good of a record, you go, you know what? I think that, you know, I might be a candidate then because they'll see I turned around the offense and I did this. But also it's if you show that you can coach at a high level in a Power 5, then that gives you an opportunity to get another gig somewhere else even if there is a lame duck coach there. Yeah. Um, and as far as Mike Jinx, the running backs coach who came essentially along with Cliff Kingsbury, uh, Gerard Martinez did put on the parasol that it sounds like Jinx will stay at USC as of now, but things are evolving as they do. That could be a, a coup for USC to keep Jinx there. And would that point more to keeping, uh, going along with the air raid style if you're going to have Jinx there? Yeah, I think if you're keeping him, I think that, that, that plays into it for sure. Um, the question becomes, you know, depending on the offense coordinator you come, you bring in, if you bring in Graham Harrell, I think you're, you're probably figuring that your, you know, your coaching staff is set. Then if you bring in someone else that, it, you know, is not considered in the same mold as Cliff Kingsbury, then maybe there's some more turnover on the offensive staff. That'll be the question there. And then, you know, if you bring in a coach that's not the air raid principles, it's a little bit different. 
does he decide, you know what, I want to bring my own running back coach in. I want to bring my own receivers coach in. I want to bring my own offensive line coach in. So that all still has to play out. And and maybe that's part of the uh, the interview process is that they the USC doesn't want to make any more changes because they've been you know reluctant to do that. Then maybe they're looking in particular for air raid concepts and and for someone you know that fits in the same vein as Cliff Kingsbury, which obviously Graham Harrell would be a guy that would fit that. As far as that's an interesting point you bring up. So as far as the where do you see USC slash Clay Helton kind of going with this? Because I mentioned on Tunnel Vision, like if I were Clay Helton, which I'm obviously not, I would use this as a chance to like put a pause on everything and really re- reevaluate the staff we put together and like the direction we're going, especially given the backdrop of we're going to make Notre Dame like changes in this offseason. Does what's the timeline that USC is going to have for trying to fill that offensive coordinator role and how much turnover? If any, do you see with who USC hired now? You know, I think it, it all depends on where you're going with it. You, this is an opportunity. You could make vast changes. You could say, hey, we went for this Cliff Kingsbury thing. That was going to be, you know, our, our the gem of our offseason. And you say, we just got our, our crown jewels stolen. So now we have to reassess, do we want to keep the same, you know, do we want to keep the crown the same without the jewel on it? Or do we want to switch it out for a different crown that might have some other stuff on it? You know, some different ornamentation and, and everything else. Uh, so I think that, that that's what you have to make the decision on. And, and you know, the thing is, you you would like them to take a second back away and reassess and go, you know what, let's look at it and make sure that even whoever we're hiring, we don't want to make some big adjustments here. Let's make sure we don't want to do that first. But it just seems like that's not been their M.O. at all. So it, it feels like they'll just go in the same pattern and just try to fill someone in in his place instead of making a big reassessment and, and determining if you want to go in the same direction or if, hey, this didn't work. We need to switch some more stuff out because, uh, you know, our identity was going to be this air raid offense with Cliff Kingsbury. That's not going to happen now. What do we want to, uh, from our program? What exactly do we want from our coaching staff? Let's reassess. But it just doesn't seem that would be the case because they haven't done that in the past. Yeah, it doesn't seem like their MO to do that, especially given what Clay was saying in the early signing day presser about, like, I'm sorry we lost close games. And it's just like, it just shows the mindset of where Clay is. And it, and it doesn't seem like anything, any big changes or self reflection would really come from this Cliff stuff. Um, so I wouldn't hold your breath on that, I don't think. But any final thoughts about the Cliff drama and what USC does next before we move on? I say we move on. Alrighty. So we're actually moving on to some positive news, I think. <laughs> Last Saturday, USC picked up two five-stars, five-star athlete Brie McCoy out of Modern Day and five-star wide receiver Kyle Ford out of Orange Lutheran. They committed to USC at the All-American Bowl um, I believe in San Antonio. So that was a, a good pickup for USC, two uh, five-star guys. What do they add to the team, Shotgun? I love both of these receivers. I, you know, I love watching Kyle Ford. You know, Before he tore his ACL, he was just destroying people as a dominant physical force. A lot of people have made the connection or made the comparison to Juju Smith-Schuster because of how physical he is on the outside. He goes up and gets the ball over people. I think he catches the ball better than Juju did when he was coming into USC as well. I think he's got better hands there. Um, I think that he runs really good routes. He dominated, absolutely dominated the opening finals last year, had the best performance they 
you know, that our guys said they had seen from a receiver in at least five or six years, if not ever. Uh, that tells you how much, how good he is and how competitive he is when he gets in those situations. Brew McCoy, you know, maybe he could have said the same, you know, could have produced the same thing, but he was injured, did not participate in the opening finals, but then came out for modern day, had a giant season for him. Brew McCoy is one of my favorite recruits. He is a great kid to talk to, but also he's a guy, if you use him correctly and, you know, I'm not going to put my uh, my eggs in the basket that USC is going to use him is the way I would like to. But you could use him as a receiver and then still use him on the defensive side as a, as a third-down pass rusher. He gets after the quarterback. You know, I would love to see them do that and use him both ways uh, because especially you have so much uh, wide receiver talent, you can move guys around, you know, give him the time off he needs. You know, if he if he plays a little bit uh, of defense, a couple a couple extra plays on defense or something during a drive, you know, he's tired. You have more receivers you can use. So I would love to see that. I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, but <laughs> he comes in. He's a physical receiver. He and he has a great connection with J T. Daniels. So the Amon Ra J T. Daniels connection you saw this year, especially early in the season, I think that will already be there when Brew McCoy gets in as well. I think they know each other really well, and you put those two guys side by side potentially. And you have two receivers that are, you know, just locked in, dialed in with the quarterback that, you know, that can make a dynamic pairing on one side of the field. You put Michael Pittman and Tyler Vaughn on the other side of the field. And wow, you got a you know, tremendous foursome out there. Uh, but we'll see how they use him. And, you know, when they bring him in, he's, he's going to be a receiver, at least initially. We'll see if they put him on the defensive side uh, as well. I would love to see that. You know, Brew McCoy is one of the, the few guys that stood out for the West team uh, during the game at the All-American Bowl because the West team got thumped uh, <laughs> by the East. Uh, but Brew McCoy did stand out. He and Spencer Rattler connected a couple times, I believe. So, uh, you know, I, I think that he is a, you know, a great addition for USC. He's already enrolled at, at school, so he's there. Now the question is, does Kyle Ford come to, to USC? He committed – but he also committed to the Cliff Kingsbury offense initially rather than than uh, whatever will transpire over the next couple of weeks. So, you know, his, his dad had already texted with a reporter and said that, you know, they're basically going to assess what, what goes on during this next couple of weeks and see what USC does before, you know, signing anything, which is exactly what he should do. You know, he is committed to USC, and obviously USC is a place he wants to be. Now he just has to see how the offense is going to play out and, uh, you know, who's going to be coming in as an offense coordinator. If you're a USC fan, are you worried about Kyle Ford and his, his future, or do you think this is just a smart move to wait and see until you know who your coordinator is going to be? I mean, he, Jordan Wilmore and Puka Nakua, none of those three guys signed during the early period. There's a, you know, there's only, I think it's something like 20, 12 to 18 percent somewhere in there of players in the top 247 that did not sign uh during the uh during the early signing period it might even be less than that i'm forgetting the numbers off the top of my head but you know there there's so many guys that had already signed now you if you're one of the guys that waited because this situation was fluid which i think was a smart move for those players to do now USC has to go lock those down. But those guys are going to wait and say, okay, let me see what exactly is uh, going to happen with this position, my position coach potentially, depending on if they bring in someone and decide to make more changes. I mean, Jordan Wilmore just got an offer from UCLA today. You know, he's been you know, highly recruited by other schools in the Pac-12. So you know, they've got to go and prove to these, to these players that the offense is still going to be really good next year. 
even if it's not Cliff Kingsbury, it's someone else. Mm-hmm. You mentioned Brew McCord being your favorite recruit. I think he's my favorite recruit of the cycle as well. Like he, at the opening regionals, I was supposed to do like a quick interview with him and it ended up being like 15 minutes long just because he's such a cerebral guy and he just has such a smart head on his shoulders that you can just talk to him about anything and he gives such great responses. But he also, you can tell he plays with so much passion. And I think that's something if you're going to talk about changing the culture and changing um, the way USC plays football, the program. I think a guy like Brim McCoy is a guy you want in your program for that same reason. Cam Smith talked about the dedication, um, not only on the defense, but on the offensive side of the ball. And I feel like Brim McCoy brings, um, is the type of guy you would want on your offense to bring, who studies film and it brings that passion and brings the dedication to the team. Um, so I think that's a huge pickup for USC. Yeah, I think both of these guys are, you want to call them culture commits too, or they're going to be additions to the culture side of the team because both of them have great work ethics. You know, Kyle Ford's working his way back from the ACL injury that he suffered, you know, midway late. I think it was the second half of the season. Um, So, but he thinks he's going to be ready to, to, to play next year and will not need a red shirt. We'll see if that is actually the case. Uh, You know, you don't want to rush him back obviously, but he could potentially be a guy that plays in four games, maybe later in the year and you use him, uh, you know, as a redshirt freshman still. So USC has some weapons in this class. They just got to get some of those signed, though. And, you know, there's three commits that they have. So they, they have 20 guys that are signed now. They have nine spots left because they pushed some guys back to last year's recruiting class that are early enrollees. So they can they can still sign nine guys in this early or this later signing period uh, coming up in February. So they got about a month to convince these offensive players in particular that they've already committed these three guys with Puka Nakua, Kyle Ford, and Jordan Wilmore. But also they got six more spots they can go get too. So uh, we'll see how they do that. So I think it's important to go make that offensive coordinator hire as soon as you can within the next probably eight days now, I would say, would be ideal. So you still have a couple of weeks to try to recruit guys in before you get to that signing day. Yeah, which is crazy because the the second signing day is – quickly approaching but as far as those six spots the spots that usc has left who are they who's left who are they looking at now um that they're gonna want to uh sign i mean the, the first place you need to look at is enoch vamahi who is a offensive lineman out of hawaii usc did not do very well with offensive linemen in the in the early signing period they really need to get somebody in uh at least one if not more than one all they have from, from the first is Jason Rodriguez and the possibility of Gino Quinones uh, switching over from the defensive line to the offensive line. So I think it's important to try to get him. He's going, I believe he's going to announce his decision at the Polynesian Bowl next week uh, in Hawaii where Keeley will not be and I will be. <laughs> How uh, dare just, you? Just throwing that in there. Yeah. Uh, but, but he's going to make his decision there, I believe. I believe Noah Pola Gates, the cornerbacks slash safety, the defensive back from – Arizona is also going to be making his decision. Those are two really big guys for USC because, you know, those are positions of need. You know, you need some more bodies on the offensive line, uh, especially you need to get some talented guys in when you only got one guy in the early signing period. And Noah Pola Gates, obviously the defensive back, the secondary has been decimated with, with departures from USC. So getting him would be really big as well. Uh, a couple other guys, Devin Ely's, uh, or is it, I'm not sure if it's Devin or Devon, Ely's what uh, a defensive tackle out of Maryland. You know, he's down to USC and Penn State. He's a four-star guy. 
nationally rated, rated guy. He's a guy that if they can bring him in as well, that's a big, big get for them. If they don't get him, they may be looking at Matthew Polamau as well. Isaiah Polamau's little brother, defense tackle from Chandler, Arizona. And there's a couple other DBs that have kind of popped up out of nowhere. I believe, I believe it was Jamal Hill. You know, we have not heard anything about him. And all, all of a sudden it was like, Hey, top four, right after the early signing period had finished, you know, a safety from Georgia is like, Hey, I have top four USC's in it. It's like, what? Wait, wait, we didn't even know this was happening. Uh, so, which is kind of surprising because usually we at least have heard about guys that USC is on pretty good. Uh, and then also there's Dewan Jones, the offensive lineman from Indianapolis, but I don't think USC is going to be in the mix there at the end. You know, if he would have signed in the early period, they had probably a better chance. But, you know, the thing with this early signing period is that if you don't sign, teams might just say, oh, wait. There's that guy out there. Now I'm going to put all my effort into going and recruiting him, and I think he's gotten more attention. And at 6'8", 360, obviously he's got a great body type to be on the offensive line, and I think he's getting more attention and might have pushed USC a little bit off that one. But those are a couple names that are out there. There's there's going to be some other guys that, that uh, you'll hear later uh, that will be out there. There's a, there's a kid, Siani Vaki is a guy that USC may look at. Uh, there's the – the linebacker from uh, Centennial, uh, the, I can't, I'm forgetting his name off the top of my head, but that USC may look at as a safety. That's another guy they're looking at. So there's some names out there. And like I said, this class is going to be probably 29 guys. They're going to try to fill those spots, get some more bodies in, especially from all the departures they had, including a couple that you know have happened this past week. Wow, what what a great transition! Before we transition to that, um, well, oh, well done. Well done. Before we transition to that, um, I just want to go back to as far as popping up on USC's uh, USC being in a top four. As far as filling that secondary depth, how much is USC just going after guys because they need just bodies in the secondary? Well, obviously you want talented bodies because yes. you know if, if you're not if you're not good, you're not going to get on the field. If you're not getting on the field, you're not going to come from Georgia or like Britton Allen, uh, the safety that they got out of IMG Academy. Um, on the early signing period out of Florida, but he's from Georgia uh, originally. Those guys aren't going to stay in California if they're not good enough to get on the field. You, know, you look at a guy like Lamont Simmons who came to USC and then left and went to Georgia Tech. Uh, you've seen some other guys that have come out, and you know if they, they're not going to get on the field, then why are they going to wait around? You know, A lot of times those guys have transferred out other than Jakari Godfrey. There's another guy didn't feel like he was getting his opportunity, so he left. Uh, so if you're going out and getting guys, they need to be talented or else you're not going to keep them around very long and you're going to have the same thing happening over again in the next uh, class. So getting Max Williams is, is big because he's a, a talented cornerback, but he's the question on him is when is he going to be healthy to come back uh, even to practice? So getting him back and healthy. Britton Allen, obviously, and him was a, a very big uh, pull for USC. They also got Trey Davis, the cornerback from Federal Way, who Clay Helton just sounded like he was smitten with, uh, talking about him in the the signing day presser. So those are the guys that got coming in. Now, if you get Noah Pola Gates, that's a guy who can potentially play safety as well. And you just look at some of those positions. You just got to you got to build some more depth because of how many guys they've lost. So you need guys to come in. You need them to be guys that can compete, though. You got if they're not competing, then they're only going to be here for a year, year or two, anyways, because they'll probably want to try to find somewhere else where they can play. So you got to bring in some talented guys as well. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, but as far as where USC's uh, class ranking goes, adding two five stars definitely helps. Where do you think USC will end up uh, once the second signing day is finished? 
I mean, they took a big jump, obviously, when they added Kyle Ford and Brew McCoy. They went from, I believe, 21 or 22 to, uh, to 13th. Um, so, you know, if they sign, if they end up signing six more guys, then I think it pushes that class up, you know, pretty. If they sign the three commits they have and they get the six more guys, it's going to push that class even higher. Now, the, the team rankings um, – only count the top 25, I believe, uh, of the the players because that's you know the amount that are allowed in a class. Whereas like Alabama this year, I think they have 28 commits right now, uh, 28 commits and signees. So I, I think it only counts the top 25. So USC could still you know boost their ranking if you get Devin Ely's, if you get uh, if you get Enoch Vamahi, if you get Noah Polagates, those guys are going to push the ranking up a little bit more. The ranking doesn't matter that much. It's about getting quality players because we've seen USC's ranking has been really good the last few years, but you've had play, so many players depart from the program that the ranking didn't matter. If you, you re-ranked them now, they would not be where they were. They would not be top five programs. So USC's got to get guys that are going to come in, they can compete, and they're going to stay in, in, in school and not be leaving or not transferring, not get in trouble, those type of things. They need bodies. They need healthy bodies. All those things are important to this team with it you know, was practicing with seeing like 50 players at, by the end of the season because of the injuries and, you know, the departures that they've had. Mm-hmm. And speaking of transferring, I'm doing my own own transition here. Segway! <laughs> we got some news out of the, the transfer mill, if you will. Uh, Oluwole Batiku, the former five-star outside linebacker, announced that he is transferring. Um, and then Bubba Bolden announced on Wednesday night that he is committing to uh, the University of Miami. And it seems from all uh, accounts from his family that he's ready to move on from his uh, USC chapter and head to Miami. So two guys, I mean, Bob Bolden wasn't a part of the team anymore. And and Batiku uh, didn't get to see the field that much because of his hip injury. But those are two guys that USC uh, is losing. Yeah, and you look at it, that's a a five-star in Aloha Batiku. That's a high four-star in Bubba Bolden. You know, from two programs where you want to continue to have a pipeline, Bishop Gorman and Gardena Serra. So these are big moves, even though they those guys had not really done anything on the field for USC. I mean, I think Wole still has an opportunity to be really good in college. Uh, you know, especially if the if the hip sur- double hip surgery he had loosens up his hip and he can play with a little bit more agility coming off the edge. I don't know that he was ever a great fit for what defense USC is running now, the 2-4-5 that they run, as, and having him as a stand-up outside linebacker. If they would have you know, put him more in a Christian Rector role and, and let him rush the passer you know, on third-down situations and stuff, I think he still could have been a successful uh, and, and had a good career at USC. Um, but he's going to take off and go somewhere else. We'll see where he ends up landing, and we hope for the best for him. He's one of my, you know, my favorite guys that was on the team. You know, Bubba Bolden. That, that safety depth is just devastated for USC. And, and Bubba Bowen was a talented guy that would have been starting this year if not for the off-the-field stuff that ended up getting him, you know, basically d- that forced him to leave USC. Um, so the obviously the court ruling that said that the, that the Title IX office had done too much, basically, I think is what, it, what the court ruling said, said that he didn't get due process. We come back and have a new investigation. Same thing with Bryce Dixon. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if that was the same thing with some other guys that we've seen leave the program. But there was no guarantee he was going to be allowed back on the football team. There was no guarantee that the, the investigation would be overturned. So 
Bubba Bold makes the decision that he is going to follow a teammate, former teammate Brevin Jordan from Bishop Gorman to Miami, where, where Manny Diaz gets his first, the first commit of the Manny Diaz era in Miami. Yep, interesting indeed. But yeah, so people kind of got confused a little bit, but as you mentioned, the, the reinstatement didn't have any guarantees for Bubba. It was a risk for him to come back because the case could have been ruled against him for a second time if he came back. So I think from from his family standpoint, it made sense just to move on. Um, but they're happy that they can start to clear his name, um, which they hope to do. And also there was no guarantee, be, even if he came back and you know the investigation cleared, they would be back on the football team. I mean, Bryce Dixon yep. was able to come back. You know, the, the judge overruled, turned things over, allowed him back in school, but the school still wouldn't let him play football. Just because you're allowed back in school doesn't mean that you get the privilege of being on the football team. USC made that determination. Who's to say they wouldn't make the same determination with Bubba Bolden there? I, I think it was it was a huge risk if he were to come back to USC and try to get back in. I think that was a huge risk for him. I think it's a much better decision for him and his family to just say, you know what, I'm going to finish up JUCO this year. I'm going to go somewhere else and try to continue my career there. Even if I love USC, I want to be at USC, there's no guarantees for me there. It's kind of like a, a quarterback transferring. You know, If you're at a, at a school and, and you're a year behind or you lose a quarterback uh, competition, you know, I, I want to be here, sure, but it's going to be better for my career if I go somewhere else and I'm able to play rather than worrying about if I'm ever going to get on the field. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I would agree with that. As far as, uh, I mean, that pretty much wraps it up for the podcast. I The one thing that I was thinking about as you're talking about timing and, and timing as far as recruits and finding an off- offensive coordinator, I mean, how much does Cliff leaving put back the team? And, and, and what does this mean for a potential quarterback competition? I mean, this was the first week that USC came back uh, and had classes. Usually this is when you start to get things going, but when you don't have an offensive coordinator, what what can you really do as far as that goes, as far as the offensive scheme goes? I mean, USC needs to be in the weight room. They need to get bigger and stronger. That, that's one of the things. Uh, so the, the quicker you get an offensive coordinator in, the quicker someone can stop by his office and say, hey, coach, can I get the playbook, that type of thing, and you know, I'll you know, sit in his office and stuff. You know, the coaches, they're still – you know, restrictions on how much they can do with the players and stuff, but the players still have it. There's an open door policy. Players can go and talk to coaches whenever they want. So this is an opportunity uh, with the students back in session for the players to stop by the coaches' offices, talk to them, and talk about, you know, what they need to be working on, those type of things. So getting an offensive coordinator, the sooner the better. But the most important thing is, rather than the timing, is getting the right hire finding someone that can make those in-game adjustments so that USC doesn't go up 14-3 on, on Texas or 14-0 on, on Utah, I think it was, and give up 34 and 35 straight points or going up whatever it was on Cal and then not scoring again. They need someone that can make those offense adjustments so that they can move the ball down the field, give their defense more time off, and, and be able to have a successful team rather than you know being you know everyone basically – it was you would just flip a coin, be like, all right, this drive is going to be good or this drive is going to be bad, and it would be, you know, the the coins were flipping bad, 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 too successfully, uh, too successively, uh, rather than USC being able to find a way to move the ball more consistently, you know, even if if they didn't have you know big big time plays, uh, they could still move the ball. That was the issue all season. So they've got to find someone that can do that, and getting the office coordinator in the sooner the better, but got to find the right guy. 
Yeah, you mentioned getting in the weight room. I mean, how much does that matter if, if you're not going to have a, a new uh, strength and conditioning coach, which I know a lot of USC fans were clamoring for this offseason? You know, you can still go work out on your own. Port Augustine is still a man-child. So, uh, <laughs> you know, I don't think that that it, it wouldn't have mattered who the the uh, strength and conditioning coach was. I think he was still going to be a, a beast uh, as far as his muscles and everything. So if you really want it, you'll go get it. Wow. So inspirational to end this I podcast. I do what I can. I do what I can. <laughs> I mean, any final thoughts to wrap up this crazy week? Anything else you want to add? You know, I, it, it's going to be interesting to see how USC finishes this uh, this recruiting cycle. You know, 29 guys, that's that's a really big class. So the, that means there's going to be freshmen that are going to come in and contribute right away. Who's that going to be? How do the guys that, you know, that redshirted last year, especially the guys that are a year older, you know, the guys that are redshirt freshmen that are, were, were sophomores that are now redshirt sophomores, the guys that are juniors that had a year off, how do those guys come back? Are those guys going to contribute? Or are we going to see guys, you know, Randall Grimes played a couple games his freshman year, redshirted this past year, and now he's gone. You know, are we going to see guys, you know, take that next step? Where is the development? Is USC going to have the development? That all starts at this point. We won't really see it until the spring, and even in the spring we won't really know. But, you know, it would be great to see this offense get on track. If the offense gets on track, the team will win four or five more games than they did last year. Uh, but it, it starts – up front with the big boys and that's being in the weight room and stuff now, but also schematically with the offense coordinator. So a lot of things that the USC can fix, uh, but we'll see what they actually do. Yep. Agreed. I would agree with all of that shotgun. I hate ending on an agreement between us. You know, we gotta, <laughs> we gotta live up to the feud in our name, but I guess we can't really do that this week. Um, That's not true. I can just tell you about how how awesome Hawaii is going to be at the Polynesian Bowl next next week. Uh, you know, work is work is really rough when you have to do it in Hawaii. Yeah, whatever. Forget you. <laughs> uh, speaking <laughs> of which, that means we're going to have another podcast probably on the road. But of course, thank you guys so much for listening. Make sure to get your questions or submissions into familyfoodpod at gmail.com. and we will see you guys next week. <laughs>